History Goes Bump bonus cast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to the History Goes Bump bonus cast. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. We love doing these ones because these are completely off the cuff, so anything could be said or happen. And what we're going to be doing is sharing with you our experience at the Haunted America Conference. We had a great time, took a couple of tours, heard a few lectures, and enjoyed a lot of time with some of the Spooktacular crew. So we took off on Friday, June 24th. We got into St. Louis, Missouri, about 1230-ish. Yeah, just right around lunchtime. So we went and got our car, and we decided to drive on into Alton and see if we could at least find the conference center, and we were going to be staying at the hotel there as well. And on our way, we made our first stop in Alton, which is we're driving down the road. Denise and I love to do this. We're just driving along, and we see something that's of interest. We pull over and stop and check it out. So our first stop, we go by and we see this statue that's over on the left-hand side of the street. There's a couple people out there taking pictures, and we're like, wow, that's a really tall statue. And then we realized, oh yeah, one of our spectacular crew members had posted a picture of that statue. It features Robert Waldlow. Well, a lot of people called him the Alton Giant, and his claim to fame is that he is the tallest man that ever lived, at least I would say in the modern era. We hear about giants and such in the Bible, but uh, he, in our modern era, was the tallest man that ever lived. And it's just amazing here, this little town of Alton is where he was born. His story is quite sad, though, because he had that tumor. Basically, we've come to find out that these people are not just freaks of nature. They actually have a medical condition where they have a tumor on their pituitary gland that causes them to grow at an immense rate and very quickly. I think, what was he, five, six at the age of five or something? I think so, because we were like, because I think we were equating it to some of our nieces and nephews, and we were like, oh my gosh, they would have been taller than us when they were just little, little ones. Yeah, I was like, gosh, he was taller than us little. But because of this, he ended up dying very young. He was only 22 years old. I know. It's so sad. Now, one of the neat things... Oh, and he went... I should point out that he was 8 foot, 11.1 inches at the time of his death. She's almost 9 feet tall. That's incredible. And they don't think that he was done growing at that point. Jeez. One of the cool things is right next to the statue, they also had a replica that was done in bronze of a chair that was specially made for him because I can't remember the name of the man, but he made furniture and he saw how uncomfortable Robert was whenever he would sit down and he goes, he needs to have a chair made for him. And so this was a large chair, obviously. And Denise volunteered to hop up in that chair so I could take a picture so people could get a feel for the size. Except for, just think, it's June, the end of June, almost July, in Missouri, well, actually Illinois, because we were in Alton, so in Illinois, and I'm sitting on a bronze chair at about one o'clock in the afternoon. And there was no shade. And my buns were very, very warm. (laughs) And the funny thing is, I took the first picture, and she had her purse that was kind of sitting in front of her, and she didn't want it in the picture that way, so she's like... No, no, I don't want it like this. Take another one. So this entire time she's blistering her butt. <laughs> but, but what I will do for a good picture for you, Diane, see, I sacrifice my hiney. Indeed. So then we got ourselves over to the convention center and one of our spectacular crew, she is also the administrator of the spectacular crew, Heather was already in town. And so we messaged each other and she'd gotten checked in. We got checked in. We had a little bit of lunch right there at the hotel. 
And then we said, well, what we were going to do, because we don't check into the conference until about five, we were just going to kind of check out some of the history around here, see if we could find the cemetery that was the Alton City Cemetery, had a couple of neat points of interest there. So we were planning to go do something and we got onto the, we got into the elevator and I don't know if we were just talking about, well, what do we want to do? Or if a gentleman in there had asked us. Yeah, a really nice couple. What we were planning on doing. And he had suggested that we go check out the Cahokia Mounds. And Heather was like, oh, I saw those when I was driving in. I was going to check those out on my way home. So we're like, well, we're into that kind of thing. It's an oddity. It could be haunted and it's history. So we all headed out to that. Little did we know that the nice gentleman in the elevator who had suggested we go there was a man who I wanted to get his autograph. I had a book called The Haunted South that he had written. His name is Dr. Alan Brown. And but I didn't know what he looked like. And we had no idea that this is one of the speakers and he was actually going to be one of our favorite speakers at the conference. And so it was just really neat that we had that little one on one. And then later on, he asked us if we'd gone to check him out. We said we sure did. So he was very excited that we'd taken his advice. And for some reason, Heather and Diane did not want to walk up. Well, I know why Heather didn't, but didn't want to go up. I don't know, just a few steps to the top of the one like Temple Mount. That would have been fun. I think there was like 90 steps to the highest Temple Mount. A few. <laughs> so we walked around there. It was very cool. So we highly recommend that you go and check out the Cahokia Mounds. They were very cool. And it just amazes us because the way they built this, the way they built these mounds was just taking baskets full of dirt yeah, and just so piling it on top it of itself. It's like making a mountain, one bucket of dirt at a time, just immense labor that went into making these mounds. Indeed. So we went back that evening. We checked into the conference So after we registered for the conference, we went into the vendor room where everybody was selling their books and such. And there was a traveling museum of the paranormal and occult in there. And this is also where I finally figured out who Dr. Alan Brown was. I proceeded to buy all of his haunted press books that are the series that I've been collecting. And he didn't take credit cards. So So Diane used the next best thing, my wallet. So I took all of Denise's cash, but I got a lot of cool books. Yeah, they're very cool. And then she wasn't sure she wanted them signed. I said, yeah, you steal all my money. They're all getting signed. So Troy opens up and welcomes everybody and reminds us to check out the vendor's room and definitely to check out the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. This was hosted by Planet Weird. And we had kind of taken glances over in that direction, but not a whole lot because, of course, we had... Denise with us. And I'm going to play a little bit of the audio of him welcoming us and announcing this so that you can hear Heather kidding Denise about tempting the spirits. Aww. Um, <laughs> anyway, we just ha- I just have a couple of things that we wanted to, go to mention uh, to remind you about before we, um, before we get started. Uh, I know a lot of you already been in through the vendor room. Uh, don't forget about the Planet Weird Museum. Uh, the Traveling Museum is completely free to everybody here at the conference. Um, go take a look. Um, it's a handle stuff if that's what you want to do. But you might remember the story of the, the rock. Remember the rock? If you don't, I'll tell you about it later. Well, but anyway, what gets really interesting about this is we, of course, didn't touch anything and didn't look at anything. In the vendor room, it was it was really cool, but some of it was a little bit disturbing to me. But like on one hand, you would have there was these one people that had taken these glass skulls and they could put light in them. So it was like flickering and they, they set them in different settings like lamps and wall pieces and stuff. And those were super cool. But then you would turn around the other way and there'd be like a really, really creepy doll. So I was kind of going through like a pinball machine like, 
oh, that's cool. Doink. Oh, God, get me away from that. And so I was like avoiding a lot of the, the things, including this weird museum. So Troy Taylor gets back from the conference and he posted the following thing on Facebook that we wanted to share with all of you guys. So what he says is strange things happened at the Haunted America conference, especially when the Planet Weird Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and Occult is involved. Even though she never touched, handled, or photographed any of the objects from the museum, my partner in crime, Lisa Taylor Horton, ended up with some unwanted souvenir from the museum. On Saturday night slash Sunday morning, long after the conference had ended and the museum had been packed away, a very strange event occurred. Following the Ghost of the River Road dinner tour, Lisa forgot her phone in her room for this one. The late evening seance and cocktails with friends, Lisa plugged her phone in and went to sleep. It was a little over 2 a.m. The next morning, Lisa checked out and started for home, but we stopped along the way for lunch. That's when she noticed that her phone was almost dead, even though it had been plugged in all night. And that's when she looked at the photos on her phone. The latest photo was the weird one, a doll and one of the artifacts in the museum. A couple of problems, though. The timestamp on the photo was 2.46 a.m., and stranger, Lisa didn't take it. She was asleep at the time, and Ruby had been packed away hours earlier. What happened? We don't know. So far, there is no logical explanation for what occurred, or at least we haven't come up with it yet. All I can say is that if you've ever wondered about the authenticity of the objects in the museum, I think you can stop. So I thought, wow, what an amazing story, because this is not just somebody felt something weird. This is tangible proof on her phone. She didn't take any pictures of that table at all. So how that would have ever even ended up there? Because the timestamp, you could say, I don't know, maybe it was something weird with the phone, what have you. But you can't make up that a picture of a doll that you did not take that has been packed up is on your camera. And the scary part is she never tempted that, the spirits no, there She avoided all. it. <laughs> she avoided the table. So we're like, ah, don't look at our cameras because we tried to avoid it too. We had to leave a little bit early because we had decided that we were going to go do a ghost tour in St. Charles. So we met up with Heather and Tammy and her husband, Brian, and Cindy Wad and her sons. Yes, and Josh. And Josh, who is our other administrator for the Spooktacular crew, managed to break away from work. He couldn't do the tour with us, but he came to have dinner with us. We went to the Old Millstream Inn. This is a restaurant that Denise and I had eaten at before when we'd been in St. Charles. It's got great food. And it's also a haunted location, which just happened to be featured on the Ghost Hunters when they were in St. Charles. The service took a really long time, though. We finally had to kind of push the guy because we're like, um, we've got to get down to our ghost tour by nine o'clock. And I had some relatives. I have a ton of relatives in St. Charles, and they all wanted to meet us before we went on the tour. And three of those relatives were going to be on the tour with us. So we got down there and kind of had to do a little quick hi bye. I know. It's like, thanks for driving down here to say hi. Now, see ya. And then we did the St. Charles tour. We shared a lot of the same stuff about this tour with you on our road trip that we took back last year, last summer. So we've got a lot of information about it in that if you want to clue in on that. We didn't have any experiences. Uh, there was an area. We had some EMF detectors that he had given us, and there were a couple of areas that it did go off. The one is the alleyway where the sheriff of the town had been shot, and he had crawled down to the bottom of the stairs and died at the bottom of the stairs, but he'd gotten blood all over the side of the wall. And that spot is still there and they've never been able to remove it, paint over it. 
And if you put a black light on it, you can see it really well. And the EMFs were going off pretty heavily there. Yes. Then there's another area where a little girl haunts, and it's a restaurant area outside. And I was walking up at the front with the tour guide, who is Michael Henry, and we were just visiting a little bit. And then all of a sudden, my EMF detector started going off. And I started looking around because if you have like some kind of utilities or something in the area, it might set the EMF off. And so every so often they would go off for that reason. But there was nothing around. And he went, hmm, that's interesting because of the story that I'm about to tell you guys right here. And Denise came up. She had an EMF detector as well. And hers was going off just as crazy. And what kept happening is they would fluctuate. Like mine would be going off like crazy and then it would kind of seem to back off. And then Denise's would go off really crazy and then kind of back off. And so he said it was really interesting that it kept fluctuating that way too, because he goes that if it was like a utility or something underground that was setting it off, it would just be a constant buzz. Whereas this almost seemed like something was moving around the group. So those were interesting little experiences, but nothing major happened. I think everybody had a really good time. We got back to the hotel and we went to sleep got up the next morning. And we also had met Patrick from the Big Sands podcast that yes. evening. Yes, that's true. We finally got to meet pa- Patrick live and in person. And the real bummer is he didn't come to dinner with us because he was going to be doing a ghost hunt that night and he wasn't sure he'd get back in time. But then we came to find out that Cindy Wad and her sons were going to be doing that same ghost hunt. And they got back in plenty of time. And when he saw them, he was like, I could have gone to dinner with you guys. I know. So next time, Patrick. Yeah, we'll definitely catch him next time. The first speaker of the morning was one of our favorites. I would say he was our second favorite. Our favorite was the woman who spoke at the very end. But this was Dr. Alan Brown. He has written a ton of Haunted South books, lots of different areas from Florida to Mississippi. And his talk was about haunted beds and breakfasts, which really piqued our interest because not only do we love bed and breakfasts, but haunted ones. Hello. And we live near St. Augustine, where basically every B&B there is haunted. Exactly. And several of the locations that he spoke of weren't very far from us, even if it was in a neighboring state. Exactly. And he named he went over eight of them. And we were very excited about the last two because they featured locations that we have actually done shows about. And one of them was the Island Hotel in Cedar Key, Florida, which is not one of our more listened to episodes, but it is a really neat location, especially because it's got that Neptune picture above the bar and just a very haunted location. So the fact that he, out of all these beds and breakfasts that he could have pulled out that he had visited, that was one of them. We were really excited because we're like, that's kind of an obscure one to have that pop up. Yes. And for other people, some of these other ones might be obscure too. What I've basically done with this soundbite that we're going to share with you guys is taken an hour-long talk, and it's about 15 minutes long with us taking out some of the extras. But he's going to go over each of these. It's a little hard to hear because we're towards the back of the room. He wasn't speaking very loudly, but I'm just going to name off these each of the ones that he did. The first one you're going to hear about is Magnolia Place Inn. This is in Savannah, one of our favorite cities. Then he goes to New Orleans, and he mentions the Andrew Jackson Hotel, which is a really popular place for people to check out because it is very haunted. But he likes to go to places that are not as well known. So he went to the 1891 Castle Inn. It's in the Garden District of New Orleans. Unfortunately, when I went to look up some information on on the Internet, though, I believe it's closed, at least according to Yelp. So I don't know if that's true or not, but he uh, he's going to tell a little bit about that. Then we have Gettysburg, the Farnsworth House. That has some great stuff with it. And he's going to explain why it was a tradition, especially during the Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, for the women of the town to bake bread. 
So a battle is going on around them and they're baking bread. And he's going to explain why. We go to a place that I believe is probably a more obscure location, Fort Worth. And this was Miss Molly's B&B. And part of its history is, of course, the Old West. And what do we have a lot of in the Old West? Those would be houses of ill repute. Yes, of of slight ill repute. (laughs) (laughs) Then we had a location we've never heard of right here in Florida, in Monticello, Florida, the John Denham House. It was built in 1872. And it has this cupola at the very top of it. And I, I didn't keep this story in there because it was hard to hear him telling the story. But we'll tell it. It has like this little chair, a rocking chair up in it. Very nice to look out over the city. You're going to hear him tell how the man who built it used that as kind of a place to spy on people and his workers and such. Well, his wife thought it was a great place to read. Which I would have too, sitting up there with the windows by yourself. It's just a nice little rounded area. And she doesn't really like to go on ghost tours. So he went to go on the local ghost tour and she's sitting up in this cupola reading her book. Well, wouldn't you know that this house is on the haunted tour and they all get out in front of it and everybody's ooing and aahing and oh my God, I see something up there. There's some kind of a shadow. And he let it go on for a couple of minutes. And then he said, for the sake of the paranormal and investigation and science, I finally stepped up and said, I hate to break it to all of you guys, but that's actually my wife sitting up there reading a book. (laughs) My very alive wife. (laughs) (laughs) The next location was the artist house, which is here in Florida as well. And it doesn't have a really interesting story with it if you just talk about the house and maybe the people who live there. But for those of you who are familiar with a very famous haunted item out there, the name Otto might ring a bell. And that's because what is linked to the artist house and the Otto family is Robert the Doll. Indeed. So I kept in his description, his telling the story a little bit about the origins of Robert the Dog, because I know we have a lot of you listeners that are big fans of him and have suggested him to us. And we have talked about him on two different shows. Now, this will be the third show that he's made up. So, Robert, you're very popular around here. Although, darling, I don't think we want to meet you. No, don't care to take your picture. Number seven was the Island Hotel that we've mentioned. And number eight, drumroll please, of course, one of the most favorite haunted beds and breakfasts in the country, the Myrtles Plantation. So enjoy this little soundbite, and we'll be right back after you listen to it. Uh, well, we will start in one of my favorite cities, Savannah. Yeah. Uh, Savannah is back to the colonial time. Most of the old buildings are still there. We've done a wonderful job of serving them. Uh, and they've got a very good ghost uh, And they've got several haunted bed breakfast. This is one of them. This is uh, the Magnolia Place Inn. It does not really promote It does promote the fact that John Barron stayed here in the late 1980s when he wrote Midnight in the Garden of Liberty. Uh, it was built in 1878. My man named Gerard Hayward. He was a descendant of one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was a cotton merchant. Uh, died in 1884 from eating bad oysters. Really? Now, Dora. We all know Dora. And Dora is a ghost that is hanging around the older part. Right? And I'll give you a bit of example, Andrew Jackson. 
both famous affiliate tags here at Madison. It was an orphanage with a fire about the converted it to a
care for him and, and compose him. The story goes that she was uh, really well, uh, he was not very, uh, Thomas was not very nice to her. Well, she made this three-foot doll for Robert out of straw. And Robert bonded with him immediately. Uh, kept him in his room. Um, he talked to Robert at night. Parents were okay with that because kids have imaginary friends. But they did. They got a little concerned, though, and Robert answered back in a different voice. People outside, neighbors, said that they could see Robert walking around the house while the auto cannon was on. They also heard this weird Well, eventually, uh, relations between Robert and Gene became strained. And then one night, uh, his parents were awakened by screaming coming from uh, Gene's room. They ran inside, and the room was just a mess. The furniture was overturned, um, clothes were strewn all over the floor, toys were scattered everywhere. The little boy sitting in the, in the bed just shaking, his eyes were as big as saucers, and they asked, what happened? And Gene pointed to Robert, who was sitting in his little rocking chair, and said, Robert did it. And when you go to the West, you can get little magnets, the bigger of magnets that say Robert did it. <laughs> Now we're at Cedar Key in Florida. This is the island of Florida. This is the island of Florida. Oh, we did. And the restaurant. They opened in 1860. Uh, and it was built as a general store. The owner was a man named John Parsons. And uh, the store was called Parsons and Hale's General Store. Well, they were open a year, a little more than a year, and the Civil War broke out. The Yankees came burned down just about every building um, on Cedar Key, except this one, and used it as a barracks, kicked out Parsons and Hales. Well, after the Yankees left, the Confederates moved in, and they used it as a barracks. Finally, in 1865, they were able to reopen as a general store. Then, in 1915, a man named uh, Simon Feinberg uh, converted it into a hotel. In the 1930s, a disreputable uh, man named Crittenberg uh, turned it into a bordello and speakeasy. Uh, during World War II, it was pretty run down. And then after World War II, um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs, uh, Bessie and Gibby Gibbs, uh, bought it. Uh, they hired a woman named Helen Cooper to paint this uh, portrait of Neptune, the two seamen. Uh, at the Neptune Bar, and the 1980s Jimmy Buffett sang. Uh, he also sang on the uh, on the balcony. Uh, well, they uh, they restored the place. Uh, not only restored it physically, but restored its reputation. Uh, and it is a uh, uh, it's a good place to go. It's great food. Uh, it's known for its cuisine. Uh, the owner uh, is a lady named Sandy, Sandy Blair, and she said the previous mysterious thing happened to her. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, she was, um, um, they were open for business, she was walking around the tables asking people if everything was okay. She noticed a knife on the floor, and that made her angry. And she ran into the kitchen and just chewed out the wait staff. Um, so loudly that everybody eating here. 
lady motion to her and said, no, waitress didn't drop that 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 knife rolls up from the table and fell on the floor. And she was dead serious. Alright, here is the big one. Okay? The world this is where everybody wants to go. The Myrtles is like Disney World for adult ghost Sarah Soderland, who spoke after Dr. Alan Brown, and she talked about the psychology of, I guess it would almost be ghost hunting or the people who are into the paranormal. Not necessarily about the psychology of the ghosts or the psychological science behind it, but why are we so interested in ghosts and the paranormal? And it was a really fascinating talk. We enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect, and I her humor and her delivery was really good. I thought I, I enjoyed that talk a lot. Then the big name that we had there for the weekend was Rosemary Ellen Guiley. For those of you that are into the paranormal, you have obviously heard of her. You've probably heard her on Coast to Coast a million times. She's been on every other podcast out there. Talks about everything under the sun when it comes to the paranormal. And the latest thing that she's really been into is the gin. And so she gave her talk on the gin. It was very uh, more updated information and such. And, and for for those who aren't as versed in, in paranormal, the gin is not the stuff you drink, not that kind of spirit. No, this is spelled D-J-I-N-N. And basically, it is a more informal term that you guys would be more familiar with would be genie. Same kind of thought process there. Interesting discussion. Uh, Heather had some fun things to say about it. We won't share it here. <laughs> My only drawback when it comes, I, I find the gin very fascinating. 
Uh, they're fascinating to me, like shadow people and such. It's a strange phenomenon, something we don't understand. My only problem with it is that Rosemary kind of goes along the lines of when you get some of these uh, religious right people who say that everything supernatural that is, is bad, it's, it's, it's all demonic. demonic you know, yeah. there's there's no such thing as ghosts of people who've died. It's just a demon, and she kind of puts the gin there is if it's an alien bigfoot shadow people ghosts it's all gin and they're just showing themselves in these different forms so to me i kind of equated it along the same lines i believe there probably is something maybe possibly that is what we would refer to as the gin but i don't believe that it's masquerades as all these different things but given that some of that has truth to it she definitely made me more more than ever convinced that you never ever tempt the spirits because she was talking about the gin there was just like a, a veil between us and the gin and they were there trying to get out kind of and so i could just see you tempt the spirit you open that little hole and here they come flying out at you so i did i saw cindy across the way and when she was talking about that part i looked at cindy mouth don't tempt the spirits and she knew exactly what i was saying even though i was like on the other side of the room and rosemary definitely mentioned the ouija board as one of those ways that they like to come through yep. they're just waiting at nothing against our ouija people but i'm not going to use one we had a lunch buffet and then troy taylor and a woman that he's written quite a few books with gave a talk then Scotty Roberts did his talk after that about the paranormal in Egypt. And we heard that it was a fascinating discussion. Uh, we'd gotten kind of tired of sitting and I wasn't really as into that kind of stuff. So we skipped that one. Yeah, because unfortunately, my, my sitting ability had gone out the window by this time, even though I w really wanted to hear it, but we wanted to hear the next one, too. So so we went in for the last speaker, and it was Sherry Brake, and she was by far the best one of the event. We really enjoyed it. This was the second time I guess she's been there, and I actually follow Sherry Brake. I get her newsletter. She hosts a lot of ghost hunts and ghost tours at various big locations, like the Mansfield Reformatory that you guys would know about, and the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum and she just written a book on it and that was what she was talking about during this and what we're going to do is play just a little snippet of the talk that she gave for us about that. Yeah but she was very very interesting and so we highly recommend that you check her out. For everyone uh, my name is Sherry Brave. I have a haunted tour company called Haunted Heartland Tours and I'll tell you all about that here in just a little bit. The presentation as you can see is on the haunted history of the Trans Allegheny lunatic asylum. How's that for a mouthful? <laughs> try, try saying that out a few times after a couple of Moscow mules or something, right? <laughs> uh, I have been doing tours about 15 years now, and uh, I'm also an author. I love to write books about these locations that I take people to. I'm not a fancy writer. I'm going to write like I'm standing there and like we're having a beer, and I'm telling you about this building. There's going to be a lot of history in the book, and a lot of paranormal uh, documentation in there as well. You see, at the Trans-Allegheny Music Asylum, if you got drunk in the town of Weston, the police officers could take you over to the asylum and drop you off on Friday night, <coughs> let you dry out, can you imagine, and then get you on Sunday and take you back to the station. Kind of like, you know, shocking you, shock treatment. One gentleman had been arrested had been brought there to dry out. After the weekend, they didn't let him out. Whoa. Next week, didn't let him out. Completely the same as he could be, normal. No phobias, no aggressions, nothing. After three months there, 
and not even being permitted to see anyone or make a phone call, my aunt walked up to him and she said, here is a quarter. I'm going on a coffee break. There's a pay phone down the end of the hallway and the door is unlocked. When I get back, I don't want to see you. And he walked out and he left. And I thought, I wondered how long that he would continue to be there, you know, without being rescued. And this was back in the 1970s. You had all of these patients and you had children there as well. And when you were first admitted there, they didn't separate you for whatever type of ailment, disease, or affliction that you had. They had you categorized by counties. By counties. So say for instance, you're in the Braxton County room, you would be, you would have somebody who was depressed next to somebody who was schizophrenic, who was possibly violent at times. Everybody was mixed together. Can you imagine how frightening that would have been for those little children? Horrific. There's a little bit more of a grander scale with the panoramic photograph. People often ask, what is the most haunted location in that building? What's the best spot to go to? They're all good. We've had things happen in the parking lot. In the parking lot, before you even enter into the building. The hospital was pretty much self-sufficient, like I told you earlier. They had a dairy farm. They had their own water there. They had a source for electricity. Uh, if you were healthy enough and not aggressive, they would typically take some of the patients out and you could work in the fields itself. So you had multiple buildings still sitting on original asylum property. And get this, the amount of land originally purchased there for the asylum, 666 acres. How about that for symbolism? Inside the asylum, they have got a great area for you as a paranormal investigator. They have a room. They call it the paranormal room. How's that for original? You can walk in there and you can see all kinds of documentation that investigators like you have supplied to Tala, to the staff. For instance, over here on the book, my right arm was pinched below my shoulder and it gives the room. And you see, I had a great flashlight session and a great K2 session and it gives the room. Down at the bottom, in room 289, I had a dousing rod session with a female patient and a nurse. One of the spirits indicated that she had had a bad experience with men and didn't like us being there. So this is great to actually take a look at this and then go off into those rooms and see if you have a similar experience. Now, why did the facility close? closed in 1994. It closed because it was outdated. All of these patients were taken to local facilities. Thousands of them were there. They were farmed out to different hospitals. There was a Sharp Hospital that was built out behind the facility, so a lot of the patients didn't end up going there. When the building closed, it sat empty for many years. Uh, the local police department went in and had a paintball battle destroyed a lot of the property, people broke in, they would steal a copper pipe, they would take uh, wheelchairs, they would take whatever they could get their hands on. It's very sad. But the building gained notoriety. It was sold to, to a family, the Jordan family. It was actually on eBay. And Troy, I don't know if you saw it when that building went up on eBay. Opening bid was 1.2 million, I think is what they wanted. And believe me, I was looking. Oh my God, I'm great to have that building. It's been on Ghost Hunters. It's been on Ghost Adventures, Forgotten Planet, uh, Ghost Hunters 200 episode film there, 
I'll keep my promise to myself. I don't know if you saw it on TV. I just remember it's television. And many others have filmed there. It is a fascinating building. And I hope that you get the chance to travel to Weston to tour it. If you do a day tour, they have an hour tour that costs you about $10. And they got a three, four tour for like 30. You could do a public ghost hunt. It's a little pricey. It's about $100. Or you can come ghost hunt with me and I bring cookies. So that was the end of the conference, and then we were going to be off to doing the Alton Ghost Tour. And it was really exciting. We got to have a couple of our other Spooktacular crew members join us there, Jessica and Bonnie. And it was so cute because Jessica had met us up in the hallway, and I was trying to call my dad on the phone, and we could not get a signal on our phone for anything in this hotel. Could it be ghost? <laughs> so I was getting kind of frustrated with it, and here she comes up, and she didn't want to disturb us. She's like, oh, I, I really don't want to interrupt you guys or anything, but I just wanted to tell you that I really love your show and I was the one who won the t-shirt a couple months ago. We're like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And so we took a picture and so they joined us for this one. And this was by Alton Hauntings Tours. This was originally started by Troy Taylor. And then when he moved to Decatur, he handed it over to the gentleman who hosted our tour. He was great. And the first place that we went to was this old kind of apartment building. But what was really neat about it is we got to go into it underneath it through this tunnel and down into this area that they believe was used as a stop along the Underground Railroad to hide people. And what I'm going to do is play for you some of the audio as we're walking down into that area. You're going to hear Heather giving her commentary about what we're seeing inside of this old place. So I thought that'd be fun for you guys to get a chance to listen to somebody other than us that is a part of our group. And then we get down in there and the lights are all out. It's very dark in there. And our tour guide is going to tell us a couple stories about experiences that people have had in there. We did have one woman who had to leave that was not feeling well and they took her out of there. And one of the stories you're going to hear is about a little girl who likes to hold hands. And of course, Denise usually attracts children to her. So she folded up her hands and tried to tuck them away so that she could be touched. But I yeah. put my hand out. I know. That's what I was going to say. Little Miss Diane over there tempting spirits because when they said that she liked to hold people's hands and we're in pitch dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And so as they're talking and it's dark and it's quiet, you can't see anybody I'm standing by myself and they start saying that she likes to take hands. So I just keep moving mine in. And after everything was said and done, Diane's like, yeah, I was holding mine out. Not really tempting, just saying, thinking to myself, if you want to hold my hand, you can. Okay, so that is for you all to decide. Was she tempting the spirits? I think so. <laughs> well, I didn't get my spirit tempter shirt before I got there. I should have.
All right, guys, if you have anything that makes light, if you just turn it off for me, and I'll give you a plenty of opportunity to take photos, do all that good stuff. But I like to do this right. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So this just kind of shows you, you know, if they heard a sound, I'm sure they had candlelight in here, but if they heard any kind of sound whatsoever, that candle went out and they sat in here in darkness. Um, now, even though we turn the lights out, you know, I know it's a defense mechanism for everybody to kind of put your backs to the wall. You feel safer that way. Um, even though you do that, sometimes you'll still feel a sensation of something moving behind you or possibly moving in front of you. It's going to get warmer the longer we're down here. And a lot of times we encounter these cold breezes that just kind of blow through. Sometimes they come from the furthest end of the tunnel. Sometimes they come from the doorway. Now, you never really know where they come from, but we don't know exactly what they are either. Um, in about 10 minutes, you guys will welcome those cold breezes. So we're still down here. People encountered a little child spirit down here quite a bit. Um, usually the way that we know that these children are around is you'll feel the tug on your shirt. Yeah. So usually I leave a pause there because you usually hear some guy getting smacked trying to scare the girl. <laughs> <laughs> on one of my tours, this was several years ago, I'm telling a story and all of a sudden you hear this woman just start screaming. And I turn my light on and I look and she's standing right over there. You guys see where I'm pointing? <laughs> the deepest part of the tunnel on the right hand Your side yep so she's standing there and she's screaming she's looking at her hand and I said, I'm like what happened what's wrong and, and she said that it felt like a little kid was holding her hand the thing is is on that side of her was the wall there was nobody standing on that side that could have maybe brushed her hand or anything the bad thing with this is this one person who had the experience you know, the rest of us got the crap scared out of us by her screaming right in the middle of the story. But for her, she was the only one who felt, you know, what, what caused it. And, you know, if you tell the, uh, the skeptics what happened, they're like, oh, you know, it was dark. Um, <laughs> she was imagining it. You know, you told her about the children's spirit or whatever, and, and she was making herself think that it was happening. Um, all I can tell you is I was there that night. Her scream was incredible. Her reaction was very genuine. She was crying because of it. Um, so I really believe that, that she experienced what she thinks she did. Um, and, you know, and I've known about people having experiences like that. There was actually another time, like a year later, where, oddly enough, a guy screamed <laughs> in, the back of the tr- in the back of the tunnel. And before I could turn the light on, I think I had six people holding on to me from all sides. <laughs> and when I turned the light on, it wasn't hard to find out who screamed because this poor guy was back in the back end of the tunnel all by himself. Everybody got away from him. <laughs> and he had a very similar experience where he felt something grab his hand. One more, one more story and then we'll, we'll make our way out of here so we can cool off and you guys can take pictures. My friend Chassie that's, that's with us tonight, for the longest time she would not come down here because of something that happened to her. So as I'm telling the stories... She was standing with her back in the entrance way to the tunnel, so her back is aiming out, she's looking in. And as I'm telling the story, she's freaking out, and I had no idea why. Now what happened was, as I'm telling the story, she's kind of mouthing along, she's heard them so many times, she kind of knows where we go with the stories. 
And all of a sudden, she felt the sensation of somebody standing behind her. Mm. Now, she was the caboose. Everybody was in the tunnel. It was another one of the smaller groups. She turned around and looked. And for those of you who are by, and you can see light kind of coming through. Yeah. So when she turned around and looked, there was nobody there. So she turned back forward and just kind of kept listening to the stories. Well, all of a sudden, she felt a hand on each of her shoulders. And it wasn't like a threatening, trying to hurt her. It was more of a, hey, I'm here kind of feeling. But it, obviously, it freaked her out. Now, usually the light bulb on the ceiling, when we turn it out, it's glowing still. So she started looking at that light bulb because she thought, you know what, if I, if I look at the light bulb, I'll quit thinking about what's happening, it'll go away. All of a sudden, the feeling of the hands on the shoulders went away. The feeling of somebody behind her went away. The problem is, shortly after that, the light bulb went away. Because whatever was standing behind her was now standing directly in front of her and was blocking that bulb out. At this point, right in the middle of my story, I hear somebody screaming for me to turn the light on. I turn my lantern on. I don't know who it is. I look down there. I see it's Chastity. She's got her face buried in her hands. I said, are you okay? And she shakes her head no. She need to go upstairs. Shakes her head yes. I set my lantern down. I could care less about you guys at that point. <laughs> I've known Chastity for over you know, 20 years. And uh, so I was going to make sure she got out of here. So I set the lantern down. I walked in the tunnel. I spin her around by her shoulders and start to walk her out. And I'm holding both of her shoulders, just kind of pushing her forward. Now, she still had her face buried in her hands the whole way out. When we walk out of this tunnel, we're going to be in a little room. We're going to walk through an entrance into another little room. Then we're going to make a right-hand turn. Where that second little room is, there should be a shelving unit against the wall if it's still there. That night, there was a whole bunch of flags hanging from that wall, or that shelving unit. They were like decorative flags for seasons and holidays and things like that. So as we started to walk towards those, I'm flipping lights on as we go. And all of a sudden, you start seeing those flags moving back and forth left to right. At that point, I didn't know what happened to Chas. But I knew it must have been significant because whatever it was just took off out of this room and it's making those flags move. When we got upstairs, Chastity told me what had happened. And for the longest time, she refused to come back down here. If I would call her up and say, hey, I got a tour this weekend. You want to help out? She would either come up with some excuse why she couldn't or she would send her husband. If she had to come, she would wait upstairs. Um, so it wasn't until about last year that she started coming back down here again. Um, but they're, you know, shadow people. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with shadow people. We see them down here quite often. Then we got to stop at a lot of different locations along the way. It was a great tour. The last stop was the Unitarian Church there, and we actually got to go inside of this location as well. I'm going to play some of the uh, sound bites from that for you guys. This is our tour guide telling us about Philip Mercer, who is one of the pastors that was at this church, and they believe he's the one who haunts it. So here is the part where he's telling us about that. So, as far as the church, we're going to go back to the 1900s for our events. There was a gentleman by the name of Philip Mercer who lived over in St. Louis. He worked for the railroad. He came here from England. English gentleman, very proper, uh, slender, tall, good-looking guy. Um, he lived in St. Louis for a while. Then he started going to a lot of libraries and churches. And he loved going to um, the theater, museums, things like that. But it was through his time going to the library that he started to read about the Unitarian religion. And he decided that that was where, the direction that he wanted to go in his life. So he went up north from Minnesota and started to study. After graduating, within six months, he came down here to Alton and took this church over in 1928. Now, when Philip came here, he was very secretive about his past. Basically, everything I told you, that's all people really knew about. But he was such a wonderful speaker that even though he was very secretive, this church was filling up. People absolutely adored this guy. At first, the church wasn't doing so well in attendance, but whenever people started to hear Philip, this place started to fill up. Now, one of the strange things about Philip, there's a few different weird things, again, secret about his past. He also never lived in his own property. A lot of times, he would live with different persons and their families. But he really wasn't thought of this weird back in those days. 
And if you were sitting at the supper table with your family, this is going to sound really, really strange. But you had to talk to the people across the table. You know, today we don't do that anymore. But to have Philip sitting at your table, he was such a wonderful conversationalist that people adored having him, and they were very fortunate. So his entire six years of living here in Albany, he never once owned his own home. He also very seldom ever took meals, um, you know, outside of these homes. Sometimes he went to restaurants, sometimes he went to theater. But it was something that he was very adamant about staying with these families. Now, a lot of times he would become concerned about his health. He always the perfect health. He would go to the doctor. The doctor would always give him a clean bill of health. But something was bothering him that he thought he was sick with. A lot of times he would pick up and he'd go to California to try to get fresh air. And then he'd come back hoping that he'd be rejuvenated. And a lot of times he would just start to decline again, as far as he thought. Even though, again, there was nothing wrong with him. In 1934, Phil Murray was conducting Sunday service just as normal. He said he started getting a little rushed. He started speeding through this BS sermon, which he never did that. He was sweating profusely. He was losing his place, and that just wasn't like him. After the sermon was over, James McKinney came up to him. Now, James McKinney's family were housing uh, the minister at this point. James McKinney came up to him just to make sure that he was okay. He said, oh, I'm sorry, so I'm fine. He said, I'm actually going to see St. Louis. I'm going to watch a show. That's kind of why he was speeding through everything. Well, James said his goodbye, and that was it. Everybody left. When Sunday night rolled around, Philip Orson never returned. But that wasn't strange. Sometimes if Philip went to a show in St. Louis, the show got over late. Rather than come home, he would just turn on his cover. So at that point, James McKinney thought he'd come home the next morning. But he never did. Now, by Monday afternoon, Philip or James started getting very concerned. He had to come into town and do some stuff, so he thought he was going to go to the church. Maybe Philip came back and just went straight to the church. So James came up to the church. On the other side of this wall is a sidewalk that leads to a foyer which leads into this back area. When James McKinney came through that back area, he got the shock of his life. Out the door he ran. He ran to the police station, got two policemen and brought him back with him. James did not want to come back inside the church. The policemen did. When they got into the back area, they saw why, Philip, or why James took off money, because they found Philip Mercer's body. He was hanging from the window trans into his study. He was hanging by a vinyl cord that had been newly purchased. It's one of those staggered cords that pulled Drake's back. Sitting on his desk was the receipt for that rope. There was also another batch of rope that he had bought as well, but he went with the vinyl cord. Now, there were several things about the situation that started raising a lot of eyebrows. First off, there was no suicide note. Not that there had to be, but it was something that they didn't make reference to. Secondly, his clothes were all disheveled if he had been in some kind of big struggle. Now, some people thought, well, maybe after he was hanging himself, that maybe he started to change his mind and was trying to fight to get free, and that's why his clothes were all messed up. The third thing was his office had been ransacked. Now, he was hanging from the transom in the doorway. But the area of his office that was ransacked was far away. It was his desk and all his papers. It wasn't something that his feet or anything could have kicked around. Now, they ruled it a suicide, but some people were kind of wondering if perhaps it was a murder. It made it look like a suicide. Either way, they took his body down, they put it in the grand few months of and they started to try to find his family so they could come claim his body, or at least tell him what to do with it. They never found any family because all his family had passed away. He didn't marry, he didn't have any children. His mom and dad passed away, his brother passed away. He was it. His body to this day is still the great mausoleum waiting to be But after he died, his body was put there, his spirit started being seen inside his church. People were seeing shadows moving on the walls. They were hearing his voice. If people were seeing, you would hear Philip's voice about other people. <coughs> they were smelling his cologne. All these things were happening. The issue is, it's the 1930s. 
You know, if your church is wanted, you did not talk about it. Even though a family over here experienced something with Philip on Sunday service, you experienced it too. You didn't tell each other that you didn't want to be the grand and think you were crazy. So people were keeping all these stories inside. Now, we're going to fast forward to the 1990s or 1998. There was a woman who worked here at the church, her name was Peg. And she had to come here one day to take care of some things. So when she came in, right, she's walking up to the, the basement door, which is over on the side of the alley. It's that street we crossed before we started walking up the stairs. As she's walking up to the door, she realized she forgot her keys at home. And she was hoping that somebody was here at the church. Or maybe somebody's here in the church was online. When she walked up to the door, it opened. So she came into the basement and she said, hey, Peg, I'm here. But nobody answered. She made her way upstairs, came back to this area. It's Peg. Again, nothing but silence. At that point, she realized she was here by herself. Somebody must have left the door open because she had to have a key to lock it. She got on the phone. She called one of the church people, left a message that, hey, it's Peg off the church. It's locked. Can you please come up and lock it? I'll stay here. I got some stuff to do. I'll just kill some time until you get here. And then she hung up. Now, she figured out what she needed to do. She still needed to kill some time, so she went to the kitchen and started doing dishes. All of a sudden, she started hearing all this commotion coming from out here. Thankfully, she was all excited because she's no longer alone. She made her way out of the kitchen, came through this back room, beat her head in the sanctuary. Silence. Now, at that point, she thought, okay, I just heard a car drive by. She heard the radio. That's all So she went back into the kitchen area and continued to do dishes. She was in there for about five or ten minutes. All of a sudden, there's this commotion again. It's not like all these people coming into the church. Made her way back here again. This time, she crept back here. She was going to sneak up on them. And as soon as she popped into the sanctuary, silence again. At that point, she realized, you know what, whatever I need to do today, can wait till tomorrow. <laughs> and she went to the kitchen, grabbed her purse, and started to go down the basement stairs. As she's walking down the stairs, she started hearing a conversation happening in the basement. Again, she saw outside. Hey, Peg, I don't want to scare anybody. Walks up on the stairs, peeks down the hallway, lights are all out for the reason. At that point, she shot out of that door like a cannon, started running to her car, scared to death for what just happened, and realized that the church is still she did not cell phone. It's not late night. She was going to come back into the church to call somebody. So once she got her courage up, made her way to the door, went to open the door, and almost ripped her shoulder out of socket because that door that she still mine was not locked. Okay, you have to have a key to lock the door. Now it's locked. But that was the problem she had. She couldn't leave because the church was unlocked. It's locked now. She can go. And she ran to her car, jumped in, and took off. And then she started to think, I wonder if anybody else had any experiences in this church like that. And she started to tell her story. And when she did, it was like the floodgates opened. All these stories started to pour out. All these families had held on these stories for years. And they were finally starting to tell them. And Peg made herself the official church historian. Started keeping track of all these stories. Now, she was collecting. She got a letter from a minister. And the minister said, hey, I heard you fucking ghost stories from the church. She said, I got one for you. She said, I was working late at night. And she had come on three speed altar right here. So she was working late one night, getting some papers off the altar, and she looked up. And sitting in the third pew at the back of the church, she saw a man standing there. He had a white dress shirt on, a gray tie, with black slacks, and he's just staring at her. Now, when she saw him, she thought just somebody came down the street that needed help. So she sees him, she turns, she walks down the steps, looks up, and the guy's gone. Nowhere to go. If you would have went through those doors, we would have heard him. You know, if you were left out the outside door, we would have heard him. But nobody moved. Now, Peg got that story, and then shortly after that, she received another story from another minister. Didn't you know the other minister who told the story at a very different times. And she said one night she was working in the church, had to come to the sanctuary to get something. And as soon as she walked in, she felt the sensation of somebody in the back of the church staring at her. 
Now she looked up, she didn't see anybody there, but she had this overwhelming feeling that she was not alone. And she was being announced, look, I got stuff to do, you stay in here, I'll stay in there, we'll go on fine, and she left. So here we have two ministers telling kind of similar stories. One felt the feeling of somebody being here, the other one saw somebody here. If you can't believe your ministers, you can believe. On our tours, we've got our share of experiences as well. Sometimes it happens to you guys, sometimes it happens to us. When I used to do my tours, I didn't set up a laser grid or anything like this. In fact, before even the technology we used back then when I started. But I would stand in this area. I tried to draw all of you guys this way without telling you why. Until I got to the point of talking about where Philip Rex are hanging himself. Now, whenever I was standing, a lot of times people would see things behind me. They'd see shadow figures moving throughout that room. They'd see balls of light and things like that. But one story I did back in 2006, as I was telling the story over in this area, this girl who was sitting in front of me with her mom and dad, she started taking pictures of this doorway. Now, a lot of times when I tell stories, I don't care for people taking pictures, it bothers me. So, once I started taking pictures, then she was looking at her way, I just let it go. As I started talking about people seeing shadows back in this area, she started smacking her mom on the leg really excited and said, what's wrong? She was like this, and she showed me her camera. The first picture she took was, everything was normal. Her flash lit up everything, it was a door break, it lit up a block of light straight back, it floor the back wall, the ceiling, everything was lit up. In that second photo, she was like, everything from about this point down is completely black. And not only is it black at this point down, it's actually coming out of the door frame. It's like creeping out of this room. It's almost like a big gust of uh, smoke or something. A mass is coming out of this room. Everything from about this point up is still lit up from her flash. So straight back, you got the upper portion of the wall, you got the ceiling is lit from the flash, the door frame up here, downside, it's all lit up. But right here, there's just big black mass. The first photo, you didn't see the reflection of her flash in that back wall. The second photo, you can't see the reflection because that black mass is blocking it out. Whenever we're done uh, doing the stories, I will show you guys a bunch of pictures. Uh, I have those pictures with me. So both of them, I have the original, the first picture, and the second one. And I also inverted the photos just so you can see how big this mass was in the, in the inverted photo. We have a photo taken in the very back of the church where you can actually see a man standing there wearing a suit. You can make out the tie, the dress shirt, the collar shirt, the jacket. It looks like he has one hand coming forward and the other hand sticking out his back. You guys go get that dressed up for our choice. I don't think I've ever had suit. And when that photo was taken, the person taking it was standing right here taking the picture. One of our tour guys was right behind her. Over in the area where it was taken, we had crazy Steve walking. And then we had Len, our tour guy, walking. Whenever the photo was taken, and the girl took it and saw this man, she looked up, there's nobody there, she shows the tour guy. They're looking at it like, holy cow. And there's nobody that I have that photo with me as well. Um, you guys, a lot of times people in the back row feel the sensation of somebody behind you, just spin around, see who's there, nobody's ever there. We've had times where down this aisle right here, you actually hear the floor creaking when somebody's walking down, and then you hear a pew creak and somebody sat down. Everybody on the floor would turn their heads and follow the sounds of these footsteps going all the way down the aisle. And then they followed it until it sat down in the pews. I have a photograph with me where you can see some of the shelf here sitting right where you're sitting in the pew, staring straight ahead looking at the altar. So we get a lot of really cool footage inside this place. Uh, one other real quick story that we'll play a little game. Um, this pocket's over here. This door is always closed. And I cannot open this at all. You, know, you guys can know something. You guys can come and try to do it. There was a tour I was doing last year, or maybe a few years ago. And as I'm telling the stories over here, 
Sandy was, was in the back here. Sandy was sitting over in the back corner over there. We were training Robbie and Lloyd. She was hanging out. She's sitting over there by Sandy. Steve's walking back and forth taking all those photos. Now, I didn't realize this was going on at first. When I finished the stories back here, I came out here to show the photos. I said, guys, you want to see the photos? Come over here. And I was walking over with my photos. And I looked, and this pocket door was open about four inches. And I was like, man, that door is never open. And I walked over to it, and I tried to close it, and I could not budge that door at all. I tried as hard as I could to push it closed. Couldn't get it closed. I tried to open it further, and then push it closed. It would not move. At that point, show the photos. Just let it go. Show the photos. Everybody left. Sandy body came up to me, and they go, man, you should see what happened on the slide. He said, we were sitting back there, and we watched that pocket door open itself. And whenever they watched the body door open itself, they said it was almost like perfect timing. Because I came in the back area, and I looked over here, and I pointed out something, and I looked right to the back of that pocket door. If I was seeing somebody back there, I would have said something. I would have, you know, hey, you know, what are you doing? Who is that or whatever? There was nobody there. The pocket door opened itself. Now, whenever they were watching this door to slowly open, they all saw a round little head peek its way into the opening. And actually scared into the same for everybody. And you guys go try to open that door, I guarantee you will not be able to do it. But it was crazy. Somebody was able to do it. And it was an honor tour in front of all you guys. And those pictures that he talked about, uh, I got to see them, and they were pretty convincing, especially the guy in the suit that he's talking about. I've heard people say, well, I saw this full-bodied apparition, or I got a picture of a full-bodied apparition. This one was one of the clearest I've ever seen. It was not as if there was really a guy sitting there, but it was pretty close. And who wears a suit with a tie? to a ghost tour. So it wasn't like it was just some guy sitting at the back of the tour. So it was phenomenal to see that. Now, Tammy and Heather both had experiences in here, they believe. I watched Tammy have the experience. She jerked her head as if a fly had gone in there. And she'd said that, and it went from left to right, and it was kind of this buzzing sound. Not necessarily like a bug. It was almost More like, like a, a high-pitched yeah, sound like, like when you get said. a microphone too close to the audio mm -hmm. thing or whatever, and it kind of makes that weird whining noise, and it got louder as it got into her head, and then it, she said it was like it passed right through her head. Keep in mind that Heather is on the right side of her. Heather doesn't hear this sound. She notices that Tammy has an issue, but later on, Heather's going to have an experience, and I'd ask Tammy specifically, how did this happen to see if it was something that might have floated over in Heather's direction? So then we get into the back near this pocket door, and Tammy's going to talk about what she experienced. I'm going to ask her a little bit about it. I think she just had something out. Well, I saw you jerk, and yeah. I was wondering why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you felt like something hmm? touched your ear? Yeah. He's Heather is standing right near the pocket door. And I want to play this little sound bite that's from where there's some talking going on. He's telling us some other stories and it's the weirdest sound. I, I have no idea where this came from because, and Denise and I listened to it over and over again and we're trying to debunk it. Like, was it somebody moving a chair? I, I have no idea what it could be because to me, it sounds like a mechanical noise. And, and it was, it had to have been right near the recorder because it's very loud. And I'm like, I don't know what that would have been. It, it was, it was very dim in the room we were in. So I don't know if somebody standing next to me had something that they turned on that made a noise. I'm not sure. Yes. 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 And it was the only place in all the taping that that particular 
particular noise happens. Yeah, and, and the reason why it caught my attention, I was really listening closely to this segment of the audio was because Heather has her experience here. So here you're going to hear Heather talking about that all of a sudden she's just not feeling very good. And so Denise goes out with her and, uh, you know, make sure that she's okay and everything. And it was enough of an experience that Heather said she didn't want to go back into the church again. And then if we do this tour again, she doesn't want to go back in the church. And keep in mind that Heather doesn't really usually buy into this kind of stuff. Her ideology, I guess you would say, is more of the atheistic form. Mm -hmm. So it was just interesting. She goes, is it picking on me because I'm an atheist? (laughs) And then here's some more about the stories that have taken place in this back room and very creepy stuff that has happened to people. I'm just going to tell you guys a few stories from back here, some of my favorite ones, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up for the night. For your stories, years ago I was doing a private tour for some of my co-workers, and sometimes we, we would go into the basement. Now the church actually asked that we no longer do that just because it's not very safe, um, not only just because of the ghosts, but um, with construction, it's not safe. There's a lot of low-lying ductwork, um, uneven floors, and they're just not very safe. So I was doing this private tour for some co-workers, we got back here. I said, guys, this is, you know, as soon as we finish the tour, I said, if you want to take some photos, go for it. Once you're done, just make your way to the front of the church and we'll all leave. And that was going to be the end of the night. But I said, guys, nobody go through these doors. Everybody's kind of hovering around taking photos. We make our way to the front of the church. It looked like I had everybody. Out the door we go. There's a young lady standing on the steps by herself. And I knew she was on the tour. I just didn't know who she was with. And I said, who are you here with? And she said, Ryan. And I said, well, where's he at? And she said, I don't know. And I said, call his cell phone, find out where he's at. So she calls, and I hear her say, what are you doing down there? Which meant Ryan went into the basement by himself. Yeah. Now, I could smell alcohol on him. I knew he had been drinking, so I guess doesn't follow directions when he's a little intoxicated. I said, tell him to come back upstairs when we get him in the back room. So she told him. I grabbed two volunteers to come in with me because I wasn't coming by myself. <laughs> and we came, and we were standing basically right here. Now, down this hallway here, if you walk about halfway down the hallway to the right, another hallway. That's where you turn to go to the basement, stairs. We're standing there just kind of talking. We're waiting. We hear Ryan coming up the stairs. We hear the basement door open. He turns the corner and starts walking towards us. And I said, Ryan, what were you doing? He said, oh, I just want to see the basement. I said, come on, it's time to go. Now, he's walking towards us. All of a sudden, you see a dark shadow figure step out of the hallway. It wasn't his shadow. He had already been walking towards us. This shadow stepped out after he had already taken several steps. As he's walking towards us, the shadow is pacing back and forth left to right. This is the best way I can explain this. First off, my name is Luke, and I was born in 1977. I had no choice but to be a Star Wars fan. Because <laughs> of all the Luke on your fathers and use the Force, I heard. So big Star Wars fan. So let me put this in Star Wars terms. If you guys have seen episode one, when Darth Maul is waiting for Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan to come through the Force field, and he's pacing back and forth, just staring at them, waiting to kill them. Not that the shadow was going to kill him, although it would have been a much better story. It was more of a thing where it was following him up from the basement because he was not supposed to be down there, and it was pacing back and forth, watching him to make sure that he left. That was the feeling I got. Now, when we saw the shadow, and the three of us, me and the two volunteers, we're seeing the shadow. I said, Ryan, come on, it's time to go. So Ryan took off running. He zoomed past us. One of my volunteers 
or well, I guess we'll call him volunteer. He took off running. The other one tried to, and I horse collar him. He yanked him back. <laughs> and I said, "Do you see that?" And he said, "The shadow." And I'm like, "Yeah." I never said, "Did you see the shadow?" I said, "Do you see that?" And he said exactly what I saw. And I said, "Let's go check it out." Now this is actually a scientific proven theory that when somebody does not want to do something, you can actually hear their butt cheeks tighten. <laughs> when I said you just hear this aluminum foil crinkling noise, and he did not want to go, but I finally got him convinced to go back there. Now as we're walking back, the shadow went away. But when we got back to that spot, it was freezing cold. And we stood there for about five or six seconds. The cold was there and then it went away. At that point, I said, you know what? I said, I've never felt threatened here, but I know when it was time to go, and this is that time. So we turned our backs and out the door we went. The problem is, again, you leave the building the way you found it. They always have this pocket door right here closed, and I left it open. So I said, oh, man, I said, I got to go back in and shut that door. I said, does anybody want to go with me? No. The people who were waiting for us saw the first two guys running out. So they <laughs> and of course, my other volunteer that I host call, he wasn't coming back, so I did it myself. I had pushed the pocket door too far into the wall, and I couldn't dig it out. So the whole time I'm trying to dig it out, my back is to this hole. I knew if I turned around, that shadow was going to be there watching me. So I tried not to turn around. I finally got that door closed, and I don't remember touching the floor the whole way out the door. <laughs> oddly enough, I mean, it took me about two or three years after that to realize there's a little lever you can pop up and pull. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, another real quick story. Uh, Julie was actually doing a tour a couple years. I think it might have been last year or the year before. And I had done the 7 o'clock tour. She was doing the 8 o'clock tour. When I finished with my group, I just hung out. And as she was doing her tour back here, she asked me if I wanted to tell a story. So I told a story. Now, they had all these tables and chairs set up in a real big view. There was a girl on the tour that night that was just, she was a big girl. I mean, she was tall. She had a lot of girth to her. Um, she yeah. was just a big girl. She had more fans. Yes, there you go. She was standing over here by this wall with either her boyfriend or her husband. And I'm telling a story, finished the story. They're just kind of standing there talking. All of a sudden, you hear this loud crash. I turn my flashlight on. I look. This girl is flat on her back. Her boyfriend, husband, whatever, is, is sitting next to her, has her head in his lap, and this girl is out. Now, I shine my light on her, and I'm looking. She finally starts to come to you. I yell for Julie. Julie's in her. She comes running over to try to figure out what happened. I ask, you know, this girl's starting to come to you, and she starts screaming. And whenever I'm shining the light on her, you can actually see this huge bruise forming on her leg. She had real short shorts on. see this huge bruise. Now, my first thought is... You know, these tables and chairs set up, she must have fell into them, and that's what caused the bruise. The problem is, with her size, if she did that, the chair would be flipped over, the table would be moved, everything was in a straight line. She never touched the table or the chair. The other thing is, the leg that the bruise was forming on wasn't the leg she fell on. She fell on her one side, this leg was the one that was up. As I'm shining the light and seeing this bruise on her leg, all of a sudden she starts screaming that something's got her leg. And at this point, Julie's trying to calm her down. She's screaming hysterically. We couldn't get her to snap Not me, the, the person. Right, yeah. Julie was <laughs> I'm not screaming hysterically. This girl's screaming. All of a sudden, this little boy on the tour comes weaseling his way through the group. And I'm like, oh, God, this is her brother. You know, he's going to freak out. He gets over to her. He reaches in the pocket. He pulls out like, a, like an EMF detector or a K2 or something and starts taking readings over her body. <laughs> and I was sitting there looking at him. I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, yeah. You know, that's... That's what we're supposed to do, you know, and, and uh, he's trying to take readings and stuff and, um, you know, either he was trying to be a paranormal investigator or was, he thought he was like Star Trek, you know, taking a little reading. And he, uh, he kind of took readings, nothing was on her, but she gets up, we escorted her out, and she is just still hysterical the whole way out. And she's outside just in tears. And whenever we finally come her down and find out what happened, she said while she was standing there listening to the stories and stuff and just talking, she felt something grab a hold of her leg and just like take all of her energy away and then she passed out. Wow. 
Um, it was, I really don't know how to explain it. I mean, you know, she could have worked herself up at the bruise. I just, I don't know. So again, well, that was another physically attacked one. I guess I like you so that was a great tour. We ended it by walking down the hill. We It was a huge hill we had to walk up. So we decided to walk down the hill and see if we could find something to eat and or at least get dessert or something. And we couldn't find any places that had anything open. But we went into this bar and uh, Heather got some wine and Tammy got a beer. And it was just it was a really neat experience to just kind of have a, a last little hurrah for all of us to hang out together. And then we said goodbye. And as we were getting ready to leave, we saw Patrick of the Big Sants coming out of the Unitarian Church because they were coming in to do the ghost hunt right after we did the ghost tour. And so we asked him what was going on. And he had on his headphones and he had this little recorder and trying to pick up. And he goes, everything's amplified on this. So he had to take his headphones off so we weren't like screaming at him and stuff. But he said there were some weird feelings down in the basement and such. But um, I think out of both the ghost hunts that he was on, a lot of people around him were having quote unquote experiences, but not sure that that's really what was going on. But I think I can't remember if it was in the church or if it was in the McPike mansion where somebody said they saw things crawling up the walls. I think that was in the church. Yeah. So I was like church, like black, almost hairy things, like spidery type things crawling up and down the walls. So I don't know if that really was going on, but that was a lot of fun. So we said goodbye to everybody the next day. Uh, everybody, we had breakfast together and they all kind of took off on their own thing. And then we decided to go check out some of the sites. So we went to the U- Ulysses S. Grant house and just learned about President Grant and the love story that him and his wife had, which was really neat. I never even knew that. So we went and visited there. And then we went to the the arch, the gateway arch there and um, went up to the top, which was very, very cool, and to the old courthouse. So again, just looking at a lot of the history, not so much the haunting at this time. And the courthouse was really neat because the courthouse was where the Dred Scott trial was. And he is the man who sued his owners for his freedom, basically. And so that had taken place there. And a lot of the women's suffrage cases were heard there as well when they were trying to push women's rights through. But so what was really cool, while we're looking from the top of the arch, which is really, really high, down at the courthouse, we noticed something going down the street right next to the courthouse. And it was actually the gay pride parade. So I just thought how appropriate that here's the courthouse where so many civil rights, women's rights, and just the the rights of people um, movements had happened. And here's the gay pride parade marching down right right alongside it. So it was just kind of uh, powerful. It was very symbolic. We thought that was very cool because we were just sitting up there looking down and all of a sudden I went, well, that looks like giant rainbow flags going up the street. (laughs) And then we'd ask somebody who was more local and they said, oh yeah, that's the St. Louis gay Pride is this weekend. We're like, oh, we had no idea we were in town for it. Exactly. So that was neat. Oh. And then we went after that, we went back up because we had a little bit of time up to St. Charles because um, old St. Charles, because I really wanted to go through those shops because every time we go there, it's for a ghost tour and all the really cool shops are closed. And I like shops. And so we were going to go through those, but most of them <laughs> were closed again. So I still get one more trip to St. Charles to shop. And then we got to go to the infamous Lemp Mansion. And we were so excited about this because, Denise, why don't you go ahead and tell how you got us all hooked up with this? Well, I ha- I'm good friends with a gentleman who comes to Disney and I do tours for his group when they come of just like the Polynesian Village Resort where I work. And I've had an opportunity to go out and meet his people. They do a lot with education and new ways to look at education. So with this type of thing, I one time brought Diane with me to one of the dinners and Ryan Beckman was there. And Ryan I'd met over the time, but this was the first time for Diane to meet him. And 
when he was asking about our podcast and stuff and you know what we did and he found out it was a haunted podcast he goes oh my mother-in-law does tours of the limp mansion so maybe someday when you're in town I could get you a tour and we're like oh that would be super cool so fast forward to this year and we were on Facebook posting we were going to the Haunted America conference in Alton and he got on and he said I won't be in town but if you want I could probably try to set up something with my mother-in-law Betsy and I'm like that would be super cool so we were really bummed we didn't get to see Ryan but he set up a meeting and dinner with his mother-in-law who is the expert which we didn't know but she is the expert on the limp man Well, it was very cute because he said she's not really going to be able to maybe take you through too much because... And we highly recommend this. They On Sunday nights, they do a chicken family dinner, all you can eat. And it's all the Southern fixings that you could imagine you'd have with fried chicken. Oh, yeah. You was, had fried chicken and ham and beef, like a roast beef and potatoes and green beans. And so we're like, OK, well, you know, if nothing else, what, we, what I thought we were going to be doing is basically sitting down and having this dinner. And Betsy would tell us a little bit about the house and the stories to go with it. That's all I thought that was going to happen. We didn't think we were going to get to go through the house or anything. That we might be able to peek in to a couple of the rooms where people were having dinner, like peak. Exactly, in, in the downstairs area. And also keeping in mind that we think that Betsy is just this sweet little tour guide, that like every other ghost tour that we've done, somebody who hosts a tour, just like you and me. No, 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 no. As we're sitting there and eating dinner with Betsy, she's telling us, well, when the guys from Ghost Adventures were here and we were doing their show, and I was taking them around and doing this, that, and the other thing, and we're like, okay, she's been on Ghost Adventures. And then a little bit later, she's like, yeah, the guys from, uh, you know, Jason was here with Ghost Hunters and we were doing this, that, and the other thing. And we're like, okay, she's been on Ghost Hunters. And then later on, and you're going to hear this soundbite that we included here. She's going to mention the Booth Brothers and them making a documentary there. And I'm going, I looked over at Denise and I said, this isn't some little tour guide here at the Lent Mansion. She's like a paranormal celebrity. This is Betsy Burnett Belanger. And she is the director of the St. Louis Spirit Search. So, and and like Denise said, if you're going to go through the Lent Mansion with somebody, this is who you go through with. We had no idea the wonderful gift that we were given here. Okay, so given that background about Betsy that you just heard and what she is, I have to tell a funny story. Well, and and keep in mind that while we're eating dinner, she didn't really tell us anything about the house. And then she'd mentioned, well, when I take you through the house, so we're like, oh, she's like maybe going to take us through the house. And it sounds like she's going to take us through more than just downstairs. And we're talking about that just a little bit and what we do in haunted houses and such. Yeah. And and about history goes bump. And so all of a sudden this lady next to us, her and her husband are having dinner. Well, first of all, let me just say, I'm not a real people person anyway. And I'm, I'm one of those people I like to, I'm an introvert. So I like to sit back and just watch people. So I watch this couple come in and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is obnoxious times too. And you could just tell that they were loud, boisterous. She was complaining about she wanted the blinds up higher. And he's like, why are you always complaining? I mean, it was almost like watching a sitcom. Why are you always complaining about the blinds? And she's like, I need the blinds to be up higher. And did it. And I'm going, oh my God, the dinner just got horrible. Okay. So I didn't notice that part because I'm just talking to Betsy and eating. So I'm focused on my food. But anyway, so the lady looks at me and she goes, excuse me did I hear you talking about haunted stuff and ghosts? And so we're like, yes. And she goes, did you know this place is haunted? And so she said it kind of in subdued tones, you know, because she had information for us. And we're like, yeah, we kind of knew. And she looked at Betsy and she goes, we're trying not to bust out laughing. And she goes, she looked at Betsy and she goes, did you know this place is haunted? And Betsy's like, well, yeah, I'm a paranormal investigator and, and I've, I give tours here. Yeah, I give tours here. And she goes, no, I'm not kidding. It really is haunted. She goes, honey, tell them about your experience. Tell them what happened to you. And he's just like, honey, let's just, you know, and he's trying to get her to kind of come back 
over to attention back to their table and she was just telling us no no he had an experience he goes i probably had too much wine that night and it was it was really kind of quite funny to watch well apparently his experience was that he saw people walking around the outside of the window like he could see their heads Mm -hmm. out the window we were on the second floor exactly and and it was really cute i was enjoying because i do enjoy watching people as well and i was enjoying watching betsy be completely gracious (laughs) and and so so kind to these people i am as sarcastic as hell trying to bite my lip because i'm just like wanting to say something but she was she was so gracious to this lady but it was it was just it was just a really cute exchange because we're sitting here with betsy who has amazing information about the hauntings she's actually had experiences seen full body apparitions communicated with the spirits that are live in the limp mansion and not just at the limp mansion i mean she's had experiences with ghosts her entire life right but but i mean she like in my opinion is the expert of the limp mansion yeah it was just to me it was just it was so comical because you've got the woman who is the expert on the limp mansion and its hauntings you've got the two gals from history goes bump where our thing is haunted history and talking about ghosts and haunted locations and this is one of the Mm. prime places you want to be this is the reason why we're here why we're having dinner and we're getting ready to tour the place and you have this woman turn around and go did you know this place is haunted no really it, it is and trying there to are convince ghosts here. i'm sure of it <laughs> I, my husband had experience they're definitely here and it was yeah, just, it it's was like just she funny. was trying to convince us that that there really was paranormal stuff that happened it was cute so it was a phenomenal tour of course as we told you guys in our last episode unfortunately during the middle of it we did get the call that rafiki was having uh a medical crisis basically and so the tour kind of downtoned from there because obviously denise and i were distracted betsy herself was distracted because she was worried for us as well and what i'm going to do though is i want to play this sound bite if you remember us talking about the limp mansion we talked about the deformed and probably mentally challenged young child that was the lamp's last child his name was zeke a lot of people took to calling him monkey boy Which, i really appreciated that when yeah. betsy was talking about him she would not use that name at all so his name was not spoken in that way in that house which was very, very, I, I very much appreciated that as well. And she's going to tell us that he used to really be a presence there when it would come to haunting, but now they never hear from him again. And she'll explain why and where he is. Now, I'm going to apologize during the soundbite. You are going to hear a little bit of some kind of beeping, buzzing, like a meet, meet. It's because my phone is in my pocket and vibrating because we had it set so that because we've had a lot of phone calls going back and forth through all of this as well. So that's just another one of those calls. And then you will hear Denise talk a little bit about uh, what we're going through with Rafiki and stuff. A young, uh, their last child, pardon me, who was uh, deformed. They called it He was mentally challenged, physically challenged. Because of the fact that William and Julie, when they had him, they were old. He was 62. Oh, wow. And she was 57. Oh. Now... There's a lot of speculate. I mean, there's a lot of people who really believe he existed. But he's known by really hurtful names because of the way he looked. So he was born the year his father died, about 1904. And his father died oh, in that room downstairs um, from suicide, the first suicide in the family. Uh, and then his mother died two years later. So he was kept up here around in this area to play and to take, you know, to be safe. So there was lots of talk that he was chained up here and they kept him away from people, which 
isn't the truth, but he is still a spirit here because he died somewhere in this house as well. But nobody sees him anymore because of people like the ghost adventures who come and scream at him. He's got the mind of an infant or a little two-year-old. But it scares him. And it scares him. So now he hides. And he hides in here. Okay. That's where he hides. Oh. And so he's never seen anymore. I did a show with this group uh, called the Booth Brothers. And we did a, a it was a, almost like a movie. And it was called Children of the Grave. A segment was devoted to this little boy. His name is Zeke. And when we were standing around in this area, and all night long, you know, random things were going through their computers and so forth. Well, I brought a teddy bear from home, which I did frequently, and the doors were open, and I set it up on the, on the stairs. And we went about our business, and they were interviewing me, and then we looked up there, and the teddy bear was up in the air. Well, back before, it's like, it's playing with the teddy bear. So they immediately pointed a whole bunch of stuff that way. Not disrespectfully, not scary, and the words that came through the computer at that point then were mommy, mommy. Oh, I just broke. We were all like, woo, woo, crying, and, you know, so, but that's where Z gets is in there. So when we see uh, spirits, I mean, this is where we do our dark room uh, experience, our little spirit communication. We usually see Charles's dog, sort of a bigger dog, lab type dog. And uh, Charles, and maybe a spirit here or there. Do you see him like as a shadow figure, or I see him more. Well, well, most people, it's easier to see them as a shadow figure, as a wraith, I call it, uh -huh. uh, because it's you don't have to look for features, and they don't have to uh, slow their energy down more, where they become a parent to us, and then we call them an apparition. Well. An apparition, anyone can see an apparition, but sometimes it takes a little bit of practice, a little bit of time, a little bit of concentration, and just relaxing and so forth. But to see a wraith, it's not that difficult. You see that shadow, you see a dog, you see a cat, you see a person, and uh, so that we do see that. Serba, she loves people, and if they make, they make, you know, dogs. If, they, if you go, oh, it's anywhere, they're always like, yay. But if you stand there and look at them, they're not going to do anything. So sometimes she's with us and sometimes she's not. But you're worried about her, aren't you? I am, but you can just tell it in her, in her face. Yeah. I am too, that's all I can think about. <laughs> okay, yeah. so, but like your kids, so, but oh, Julie, yeah. Julie's top drawer, she has two little Maltese herself. And so she says, no, I'm taking her. So I said, well, how can I ask mom and dad come get her to the I'm taking her so I'm just... So that was a phenomenal tour. It was just a great experience at the conference. That's why we want to go back again next year. Just a lot of great people there. It was neat to be around people who all come from the same kind of thinking as you do. Most of the people there, I believe, were open-minded skeptics, but we know there is something going on. We don't know necessarily what it was. Lots of great talks. And it was so neat to meet all of our listeners that were there. So we just wanted to give a shout out to those of you who were in the Spooktacular crew that were there with us. And there was somebody else. There was a gentleman who was there that commented 
about something when we were on Facebook and I was like, you were there? Yeah, and we, we didn't, didn't get to meet him. I know we didn't get to meet him. So that and was I a bummer. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. It starts with an E. Uh, but we did get to meet Jessica and Bonnie. We got to meet Cindy and her sons, Gavin and Colin. Uh-huh. And Josh, we got to meet. Yes, we got to meet Josh. Heather, we got to spend a lot of time with her. That was a wonderful, wonderful fun, fun time with Heather. Tammy and her husband, Brian. And then we got to meet Felicia and Coy. And that was really a lot of fun. Yes. So we got to do selfies with people. And I know Felicia kind of had her own. They had their own little group there and stuff. So they were doing things and we wish we could have spent a little bit more time with them, but it was nice to meet them as well. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us for this bonus cast. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye.